Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to be very deliberate and intentional this morning in bringing the word. And... Um, Last week, we began a journey, a discussion, if you will, on kingdom clarity. Amen? Understanding clearly uh, what the Word says and how we can avoid deception. So you could really, you know, use one of two titles if you want. You can call it kingdom clarity or you can call it avoiding deception. But it's the same because we know that we serve a God that is not the author of confusion, amen? And if we believe and we declare that this is a year of abundant revelation, um, we know that the Holy Spirit wants us to clearly know. Uh, We are on a journey to uh, remove the veil, if you will, to uncover things, to uh, be able to operate in this kingdom life and operate in the perfect plans and purposes of God without any guessing, without any distraction, without any, I hope I'm getting it right, or I hope this is what he wants, or I, I, I think this is what he's saying. I think a lot of Christians live in this vagueness of the spirit realm and what we are called to do and what we believe God's plan is for our lives, but we are needing to walk into uh, days of clarity. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 in the New King James, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. And the Amplified, it reads, but the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares. In the message, it reads, the Spirit makes it clear. The Spirit makes it clear. In the Passion Translation, it reads, the Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed, has explicitly revealed. We know this of the nature of the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks clearly. He speaks directly. He speaks expressly. He speaks distinctly, that there is a distinction in a leading of the Holy Spirit. We said this last week, that uh, we all need to be born of the Spirit, We all need to be filled with the Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. But the third way the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, and maybe the most important, is the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to be born of the Spirit, born again, born into the kingdom. You cannot see the kingdom unless you are born again. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You'd be amazed at how much your prayer language, your heavenly prayer language, will contribute to your clarity of knowing the voice of the Spirit. But I'm not going there today. Maybe we'll get there at some point. But thirdly, the, the, the Lord expects us to be led by the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit. And the leading of the Spirit doesn't have to be vague. The leading of the Spirit doesn't have to be, well, I hope this is what he wants. I hope this is where he wants me to move. I hope this is who he wants me to minister to. I hope this is what he's saying. No, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us distinctly, expressly, 
um, able to distinguish the will of the Father versus my will or the will of the enemy or the will of the world. We need a distinguishing here. And then it goes on to say this back into the New King James. It says that he expressly is letting us know that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So notice we have two spirits that are mentioned in this verse. You have the Holy Spirit that speaks expressly, distinctly, specifically, clearly, And then you have familiar spirits, deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons that in verse two, he says, speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. In the Amplified, it goes on to say in verse one, in latter times, some will turn away from the faith, here it is, giving attention to, deluding and seducing spirits. You know, when you're seductive, when you are uh, deluding or twisting, you're manipulating, you're conniving, you're tricky, you're not as clear, are you? Right? That's what makes it manipulative. That's what makes it um, perverted. That's what makes it twisted. That's what makes it uh, undistinguishable. And so notice that the enemy, when his spirit is in operation, it doesn't operate with the same clarity. It doesn't operate with the same distinction. There's a little bit of, well, it, it looks like, it looks good, right? Taking us all the way back to Genesis chapter three and Adam and Eve, right? When she saw the fruit, it was desirable to make one wise. It looked like it was good for food, right? It it looked promising. It looked like it would yield results that were desirable that this seems like something I should go for, even though God has clearly marked it off limits. Did he make it clear? I think he made it clear. Of all the other trees in the garden you can eat, but of this one tree, do not eat. God makes it clear, the enemy speaks up and starts clouding things, starts manipulating things. Why? Because he's the most cunning beast in all of the field. He's tricky, he's conniving, he's seducing. And so it says that uh, we give attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. The message translation reads it, that they chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. They've lied so well and for so long that they've lost their capacity for truth. The Passion Translation says that the Holy Spirit explicitly reveals many will depart from the true faith one after another, and the wording that the Passion uses is devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired revelations and theories. Hypocritical liars will deceive many and their conscience won't bother them at all. It's a warning of the last days. I believe we are in the last of the last days. I believe we are in the days where as these scriptures and these words were definitely applicable when Paul was writing them. 
have only even become more applicable, more relevant today in the day that we live in. We see people falling away from the faith. We see this, they were once running with and now they have departed from or have separated from or are found uh, uh, not quite honoring the, the values, the authenticity, the authority of scripture, uh, the, even the things that God has commanded. They start living questionable lives and we start seeing fruit. And we said this last week that although deception might be difficult to diagnose as a condition, we can recognize its symptoms. And so last week we ended with five symptoms. I wanna give you those symptoms again one more time, not in totality, but just to list them off because it'll help us where we're going today. Number one, uh, we saw that a symptom of deception is you have little value for the word. You find that we begin to promote our experience, we promote our ideas, we promote our opinions, uh, above the authenticity of the word of God. And it all starts there because if the word can be brought into question or if the word cannot remain as valuable and as honored, everything else falls from there. The word has to be the final say. The word, I, I, I am astonished uh, at how little word is used many times in, in sermons, in, in uh, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that every uh, word should be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And many people aren't offering any scripture to validate their truths or their belief systems or their principles and their foundations. The word, we've got to get back to the word being the foundation again, amen? Little value for the word. Number two, they won't tolerate instruction. You know you're on the path to deception when you won't tolerate instruction. When uh, you get uh, to a point where, well, I don't need to talk to the pastor. I already know what he's going to say. Um, or you get to the point where you want to rather do instead of learn. I, I, I'm all for people with initiative, like, man, let's go do it, let's go do it, let's go do it. But there needs to be a time of preparation. There needs to be a time of setting aside. Before David went to the palace, he went back to the pasture, went back to obscurity, went back to a training ground. Why? Because there was a lion in the pasture. There was a bear in the pasture. God was trying to show him some things in isolation by himself in obscurity before he promoted to the platform of king he went to the learning place of the pasture before going to the palace. And so you see uh, many times that we won't tolerate instruction. We would rather have promotion. We rather have promotion instead of instruction or correction. Uh, it's what I would call we become overexposed but underdeveloped. We live in a world today you can get exposed instantly. If you've got a phone, you can expose you. You don't even need somebody else to promote you. You can promote yourself. You can be your greatest cheerleader. You can. I mean, all you need is a phone and a, and a handle, an account. And man, you can put yourself out there. 
Sometimes we need to show restraint in these areas and say, you know what, rather than sharing my opinion or even my revelation, you know, Paul withheld revelation for a long time before he got out there and started even preaching. He went 14 years. We don't talk about those years of Paul. We talk about his books. We talk about the churches, talk about the missionary. We don't talk about what was done in obscurity. And he still said, man, there's revelations I received. I can't even begin to describe them. I can't even begin. He wasn't just spouting off every little thing. Even Jesus said, there's much more that I want to share with you, but you can't handle. What I've noticed about people that are overexposed and underdeveloped is they never take into account the hearer and can they handle what I've received. Just because the Lord has shown it to you doesn't mean he wants you to show it to everybody else. And so we need to have these times of instruction and development. Character is built and, and training is built. And, and these are awesome times where you can be uh, uh, worked on in obscurity. Thirdly, they have no oversight or accountability. When you are beginning to head down the path of deception, you don't seek godly counsel, godly oversight, and godly accountability in your life. Part of this is the greatest area of accountability and oversight that God has established for the believer, and that is the local church. Okay, no amens on that one. That's all right. We'll keep on going. The local church is not just your box to check off this week. The local church is not just, well, I'll go, you know, sing a few songs and see a few Christian friends and hear a few Christian points and give a little bit of money and then go on my way. That's not what this is. Now, I'm going to go easy on you because really the church is at fault why believers don't value the church for what it's supposed to be valued for. We're the, we're the ones that are at fault. It starts at the top. It starts with leadership when we dumbed it down. When, when we would not rightly hold the place, the, the, the church is the pillar and support of truth. This is not a witnessing center. This is not where people come to get born again and saved. People ought to be getting born again and saved at your workplace, at the places you shop, at the places you go, at the places that I'm sending you out with truth, I'm arming you to go out there, equipping you, Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, 13, 12 and 13 says, equipping the body for the work of ministry so that when you go out there, you can touch people I'll never talk to. You can reach people I'll never speak to. I'll never be on a platform in front of them, but you will, you will, and you win them to the Lord. You lay hands on the sick and see them. You cast out demons. But we turn the church house into this place where you gotta, you need to come see my pastor. Oh, you just come to church with me on Sunday. They just went to church. The second they got in front of you, they went to church. It's like what Pastor Roddy says. There are no verses that command the world to come to church. But there are a lot of verses that command the church to go to the world. Amen. So what is this then? This is an education center. This is where you come to learn. You come to grow. You come to develop. You come to uh, develop uh, spiritually, maturing spiritually, learning and hearing the word, renewing your mind so that when you go back out, you can be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. A believer that just waits from Sunday to Sunday 
is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. The devil's got six days and Jesus has one hour. That's amazing. That that's, sounds a little disproportionate to me. No, but when we place the right value on the local church and recognize, okay, number one, this is the center where I'm coming to learn and grow. Number two, I need a pastor, a shepherd over my life who's watching over my soul. I need godly fellowship and, and, and counsel from even other believers, like-minded believers, not just from everybody, but some of y'all can be counseling one another. Not like a counseling session, but like, you know, Galatians chapter six tells us, when you see a brother falling in sin, restore such a one. Hello, amen. So now we are restoring to its rightful place the purpose of the church. Number four, when we begin to walk in deception, we find ourselves in search of the spectacular. We find ourselves living from miracle to miracle. We find ourselves, uh, you know, just always looking to be impressed, to be wowed, to be, uh, man, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that a great move of God? And what this does is although we love the moves of God, the glory of God, the encounters of God, the manifestations of his glory, absolutely, that's the spiritual coming into the natural. But what we do is then we devalue the mundane, the disciplined, just the daily devotion of being with the Father being in the word, the, the regular disciplined practices. And we begin to shun those things. And God couldn't, God dare couldn't move in just a little prayer meeting. Come on, God couldn't move in just the, I mean, that was one of the coolest things about youth camp with our students this year was when the power went out. And to watch how the students responded in that moment. And we're talking teenagers. We're talking the Gen Z that we all talk about like they ain't gonna get it. They need all this stuff. They didn't need nothing. Their phones were put away. They had a little broken down piano in the, in the corner and didn't even sound right. And they went to town worshiping the Lord. And one after another, before you know, we had over 200 students in that room praising and worshiping God. That's how revival starts, guys. That's how revival starts. When you strip it all away, can we just get down to the raw and the authentic? But when we need the spectacular, we find ourselves investing in things to, to manufacture naturally what God wants to produce spiritually. Now we're trying to create it. If I just get the right pad playing and the, the lights down just to the right low level, and if you say the right things and do the right things, and, 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 and we're just, we, we create this awe and spectacular when God wants to move in the simplicity. Amen. And then the last one, when we begin to walk in deception, we find ourselves inviting and entertaining too many voices. Too many voices. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 said, devoting themselves in the Passion Translation, devoting themselves. Too many voices. And this, I'm not even alluding that they are the wrong voices. They're just not right for you. Might be right for someone else. We were counseling an individual one time and uh, just began, my wife and I, to, uh, you know, discern where they were at in their spiritual walk and their spiritual growth. 
And they were asking for resources and, and, and people, you know, books to read and people to listen to and things of that nature. And, and, and first thing I told them, I said, one, you want to keep that circle very small. Number two, you got to follow a rule of eat the hay and spit out the sticks. Because almost every one of them is going to have it. If they don't have the right proper foundation of the word, then you're going to find yourself just chewing on everything. One of the dangers in our world and society today is hunger without a filter. When you're hungry, you eat everything. Everything sounds good. You ever gone grocery shopping when you were hungry? It's the largest bill you've ever paid. You put stuff in there, you've ne- but on the shelf with the grumbling in your stomach, you're like, I bet that's awesome. I got to try those. And they expire. You never opened it, never touched it. It's the worst time to go to the grocery store, isn't it? When you're hungry. And, but no, ask somebody. Hey, who would be someone good to, for, for this particular thing? And then the third was discern through using godly counsel. What are the voices you need and what are the voices you don't need? There were voices that we were saying, those are good, just not right now. You need to lay another foundation first. Even Paul said, you got to drink the milk before you start chewing on the meat. Peter said, desire as newborn babes, the milk of the word. And so sometimes we start getting this meat stuff and we're not ready for it and it chokes us because we haven't developed the teeth yet the discerning of the chewing and the breaking down and the meditating upon. No, there's times where we just need to recognize, you know what, I just need to lay a good foundation of this. I don't need to go, I don't need 10 different authors and 10 different books. I don't need to listen to every podcast that comes across my Instagram feed. I don't need to listen to, and I don't need to be going to a mature believer and listening to their content. Come on. Need to discern these things, but we welcome Way too many voices when we need to. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter four says that believers, immature believers get blown around by every wind of doctrine. It doesn't even say every wind of false doctrine. It's just stuff that we don't need to be entertaining or inviting or engaging in the season that we're in. Amen. So uh, I just wanted to review those with you. Of course, you can listen to last week's message and catch the whole thing. But today, I want to talk about the root of deception. What is deception really rooted in? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I've got a lot of word. I'm going to move quick. A lot of them you're just going to need to write down. I know you've brought your Bibles and are ready to turn to and look at them with me today, but some of these, we're just gonna kind of lay a foundation and show you uh, consistently in God's word, a foundation, and so you'll need to jot them down. And then in your study time this week, I said in your study time this week, you can go back and review them. It's such a blessing to me when I hear from you and you tell me, man, I was meditating on this or I was studying this or I was going back over my notes or I went back online and listened to the podcast. I do apologize. Some of our podcasts are behind right now, but we are getting those caught up. Uh, We've had some technical issues with some equipment, but we're working on getting that caught up. But going back and listening, hearing, and then hearing again, guys, if you're missing services here, you need to be back in here. If you can make time for another podcast, you can definitely make time for this podcast, especially if you miss it. 
But in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse five says, having a form of godliness. Notice out of all those things we just mentioned, he says this, they will still look like it on the outside. They are still able with all that mess that he just listed, all of that is internal. He says, in spite of all that internal mess, on the outside, they still look godly. Now, that's a dangerous place to be. That is a dangerous place to be. Where on the inside, you can be as messed up as verses two, three, and four, but then on the outside, still have a form of godliness. This is why discernment is so important in these last days having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And this is his recommendation. From such people, turn away. Disassociate. This is a tough one for a lot of Christians. The disassociating. We feel like it's unloving to separate from. It's unloving to uh, uh, disassociate. It's unloving. And, and we find ourselves in this place where we continue to get compromised because we remain around stuff that is infecting us instead of us infecting it. What he's saying is, is this type of lifestyle is so dangerous that it'll get on you before you can get on it. Separate from it. Disassociate. And we'll look at some of the reasons why. In the Amplified, uh, these verses read this way. Understand this, that in the last days will come, set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. People will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. Lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth. Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce haters of good. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. Again, recognizing that these are individuals that on the inside, man, this sounds pretty dark. 
Sounds pretty bleak. Sounds pretty hopeless. Sounds like their insides, if you were to open this thing up, it would just be dark and nasty and withered away, toxic, unhealthy, any of those words that you want to apply. But the problem is, and the, the struggle is that on the outside doesn't match the inside. The outside, what drew us in was the, it, it sounded right, sounded good, looked good, said all the right things. Guys, in essence, what he's saying is, and it, 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 con, it uh, uh, confirms what he was just saying in chapter four as well, that this departing from the faith or this falling away from the faith is not as easily recognizable as we think it is. In essence, what he's saying is every person that he just mentioned and all the mess that's going on on the inside of them, they still go to church. They still read their Bibles. They have prayer meetings and Bible studies. They, 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 they attend conferences. They can name off authors you should listen to and follow. They have a, 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 a podcast, podcast playlist of ministers they listen to. They, they listen to worship music in their car and they lift their hands when they're in service. Be following along. I know that there is a pride that's easily recognizable. We just saw it last month. A pride that is so boisterous and boastful and so evident on the surface that they don't care if they think you're wrong. And that's a worldly form of pride. That's a pride that wants nothing to do with God. That's a pride that uh, wants nothing to do with the things of the word of God. It abhors the word of God and it detests the word of God and it counters and, and wants to run down the word of God. But this morning, I'm talking to you about a more dangerous pride. I'm talking to you this morning about a pride that hides. A pride that hides. And I believe this morning there'll be deliverance in the house. I believe this morning we'll get set free from some things. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be a part of any hidden thing that is causing me to deteriorate and causing me to be uh, ultimately become somebody that a believer ought to disassociate with. That, that a believer, again, these are people in the church. This is people that call themselves Christians. These are people that look like they're playing the part. A form of godliness, but denying the power. That in the end, we can sound like it, look like it, act like it, but we can do nothing about it because there's no power involved. We're talking about a pride that hides. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus dealt with some of this in his own ministry. You're probably already thinking of this group of people called the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? The teachers of the law. These are the ones that were, by all accounts, pursuing God. 
believing in the Old Testament prophecies, believing that a Messiah was coming, believing that one was gonna come and give their life and, and lay down their life so that we could all come to the knowledge of Christ and be redeemed and be restored. These were individuals that knew the scripture in and out. These were the individuals that, that knew what God's plan was or should have at least known what God's plan was and how to live it out. But in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus has some very harsh words for this group. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. First off, I want you to see that Jesus had no problem calling the group out. Jesus had no problem identifying that group over there. He's not making a vague blanket statement that says, well, you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. It's not making a blanket statement that says, well, you know, if you see people acting like that, I'm not gonna tell you who it is. I'll let you be the judge of that. He just lets them know, the Pharisees and the scribes. They sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. So notice he's not even recounting what they're saying. He lets you know, in fact, what they're saying is truth. Believe what they're saying. Follow what they're saying. They're giving you God's word. But do not do according to their works, for they say, but they do not do. They do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces and, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. But you do not need to be called rabbi for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers for one is your teacher, the Christ, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for, neither you, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. It's amazing that we're not pointing to the world we're not talking to the blatant sinners, the tax collectors, the whoremongers, the, the, the liars and the cheaters, the idolaters, the, 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 the ones that, uh, you know, we, we could, Jesus could be highlighting a very sinful group. He was engaged by a lot of them. I mean, there was one time he was in a house ministering and a woman that was a, 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 a prostitute and an adulterer showed up, began wiping his feet with her hair. 
I mean, if he wanted to call out sinners, he could call out sinners. If he wanted to call out the worst of mankind, he could have called them out. But this is the group he chose to call out. We're the ones playing the part, but on the inside. And essentially, he said, you are doing more damage to the kingdom than any sinner out there. What's the difference? Because a sinner, when confronted with their sin and their depravity, responds and says, Lord, I need you. I'm broken. Without you, I can do nothing. But a religious person, a hypocrite, does not respond in that same manner, does not respond with a desire to turn their heart. They get hard. They become callous. They're so deceived that they can't stand to hear that their way is the wrong way. They have promoted their way above while going into the temple, while offering prayers, while giving large tithes. He says at one point that they give a large amount of money for themselves so they'll be known as wealthy, not to advance the kingdom of God. Ultimately, what is it? It's the heart of the matter. And this is where pride hides. This is where the pride that we're talking about today hides. I'm not talking about the pride with the flag that's marching down streets and that, that's absolutely uh, you know, trying to dismantle the truth of God's word. We're talking about a pride that looks like it honors God's word, but on the inside, it's all for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. Later on in verse 25, Matthew chapter 23, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy and lawlessness. A Pharisee never intends to be what he pretends to be. We'll say that again. A Pharisee never intends to be what he pretends to be. That outwardly he's got the show. Outwardly he's got the demonstration. Outwardly he looks the part. Outwardly he says the right things. Outwardly we've got the right practice and the right behavior and the right following and, the, and, and all the things that look like we have influence and look like we are following God's command. But inwardly we are as, right, as unrighteous as can be. Now why are we connecting this with deception? Because all deception is rooted in pride. All deception is rooted in pride. Deception begins with a prideful thought. Deception begins with a prideful attitude. Deception begins with a prideful position. And I wanna dismantle this today. I believe that the, the, the greatest work 
of the kingdom of God in the life of the believer is the dismantling of pride. Because we can all think of one that was exalted and raised up in pride, wanted to be the greatest of all, right? Wanted to be worshiped, wanted to be honored, wanted to be exalted, wanted to be like God. And pride goes before a what? See, this is why pride is not a result of the fall of man. The fall of man was the result of pride. That's how great this pride thing is. It started the whole thing in motion that led us away from God's plan and God's kingdom. Pride existed before sin existed. Y'all with me? Well, we all fell in sin. Now we want to be lifted up in pride. Wrong. You were lifted up in pride and then you fell into sin. And all deception begins with pride. Now I'm gonna give you these verses on the screen. I just need to go through these quickly. So if you would just jot them down and then give your attention to the screen as I read them. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. I wanna start with verse 12. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, I'm reading in the New Living, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend and set my throne. Said to myself. He didn't even fully have to act on it. It was instituted just in a thought, in a word internally. I'm just saying this to myself. I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest mountains and be like the most high. Instead, verse 15 says, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the king who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? Philippians chapter two. In Philippians chapter two and verse 19, Paul said this of Timothy. Philippians two and verse 19, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. Verse 20 says, I have no one else like Timothy. What? This is Paul, the greatest apostle, the missionary pastor, the one who's raising leaders left and right, the one who's planting churches left and right. And he says, I have no one like Timothy who gen genuinely cares about your welfare. He says, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. All the others have found a way to promote their interest over God's interest. Going back to Matthew chapter 24, where we just were. We were in 23, in Matthew 24, the next chapter. In verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name. In my name, he says. 
saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Notice that their deceiving began with their pride. I am the Christ. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that, see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended will betray one another, will hate one another. Verse 11 says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Notice that he deals with the hypocrisy, the inward unrighteousness, the pridefulness, and it leads to deception. Proverbs chapter 11, verse two. Proverbs 11 and verse two says, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse five. Proverbs 16, verse five. The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12, a man's heart is the proudest when his downfall is nearest. For he won't see glory until the Lord sees humility. James chapter four and verse six. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It seems to me like God does not think highly of or consider highly of the prideful, the proud, those that have acclaimed a certain self-righteousness, those who on the outside or are more concerned rather with the outside. And we just saw with 2 Timothy chapter three that in the last days, this is what we're gonna see a lot of. Prideful, boasters, arrogant, more concerned with impressing people than pleasing God, more interested in their opinions and their ideas than they are the word of God. Ultimately, it comes down to this, 2 Timothy chapter, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This pride issue is no small matter. And I wanna bring clarity to it, reveal it. What you are unwilling to confront, you'll never change. What we're unwilling to confront will never change. You don't change by avoiding something. You don't change by going around something. You don't change by putting something back in the closet. You bring it out and you deal with it. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse three says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down 
strongholds, strongholds. These things can build up strongholds in our life. And man, when you're under a stronghold, it's tough to get free. Some of y'all have been under strongholds in your life. And they're tough to get free. But yet Paul tells us we can get free. How do we do that, Paul? Verse five, casting down arguments and every high thing that what? Exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Isn't that amazing? Exalts itself. That sounds like pride, doesn't it? A lifting up of oneself bringing every thought into captivity to the what? Obedience. Do we have these verses, guys? Second Timothy or uh, Second Corinthians 10, chapter three. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Verse six says, and being ready, I'm gonna wait to get these on the screen. You need to see these. How many of you turn to them? Okay, some of y'all were able to turn to them. I'm going pretty quick, so I definitely need them on the screen. Because this is our answer right here. Because pride always introduces itself as a thought. Pride always introduces itself in the mental ascent, in a seed form. And this is the thing, is that we we don't understand the power of seeds the way God and the devil understand the power of seeds. And so we let these things fester and we let these things grow. And then before long, we start watering the seed and we start taking care of the seed and we start engaging the seed and we start entertaining the seed and we start seeing a little sprout. It's like, uh uh-oh. And before long, this thing gets out of control. It's too difficult to chop down. It becomes a stronghold in our life when we could have taken care of it in a thought form. And we've got to get better at recognizing them in thought form so we can handle them in their smallest state. I can promise you it's much easier to pluck up a seed than it is to take out a tree. Because the tree, even though you might remove the top of it, still has roots in the ground. Anybody ever removed a bush or a plant or some kind of you know, garbage thing in your yard that you're trying to get rid of and we didn't take care of the root system and before long that thing's showing right back up, isn't it? That nasty bush that you had removed, And we take care of the surface stuff and we think we're accomplishing something. We take care of the stuff where everybody sees and we think we've actually dealt with it and we haven't. We maybe had an emotional repentance response, uh, you know, I'm so sorry, uh, remorse down here at an altar, but we didn't dig up the root. We didn't get rid of the thing, the stronghold at the root form and two weeks later it's showing back up again. I thought I dealt with that. I cried about that. Lord, I cast that down. I cast my burdens on you. I laid that at the altar like we like to say. And yet we find ourselves trimming the bush again three weeks later. Thoughts that exalt exalt themselves. Go Go back to verse five. Verse five. Casting down arguments and every high thing 
that exalts itself. It doesn't even need you to exalt it. It will exalt itself. I'm going to give you a very simple definition of pride today. Very simple. It applies to all pride. Pride is any thought that God does not have. Pride is any thought that God does not have. Now, there's the obvious ones, you know, the sinful ones. There's the obvious thoughts that we know God doesn't think. Again, just to give you a quick example in Genesis chapter 3, you don't need to turn there. Guys, you can throw it on the screen for me. We'll look at some of these verses in Genesis chapter 3. This is where it all began, where it all went wrong, right? And in verse 1, it says, The serpent was most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Verse four says, no, you will not certainly die. A direct contradiction to God's word. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what the enemy sold to Eve in the garden was you can do this without God. You can be like God. Now, of course, we know she was already like God, right? We've covered this. So he's tempting her with something she already has, but he's twisted it and he's perverted it into saying this, God is withholding something from you. And if you would eat of that tree, you'll find out that you can be self-sufficient, self-righteous, self-able in and of yourself that you don't need God, you can do it all on your own. And so the next verse tells us, verse six, the woman saw the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate. One of the most obvious forms of pride that we you know, tend to easily recognize, even though this snake was conniving and tricky, seducing in how he tempted Eve, we know that one of the most common forms of pride is this, I can do it without God. And we've all fallen prey to that at times. That's why I talk about being led by the Spirit so much. That's why I talk about uh, honoring and valuing the word of God so much because it'll help you remind that you can't do anything without God. Without God, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible, right? We know that I can do all things with Christ, but it's when we find ourselves in this scenario, I can do it without him. And again, these things creep up and show up, show themselves in a small way. And then it leads to deception. Because here's the thing, when you believe a lie, the devil will empower it. 
because they came to knowledge of something when they ate this fruit. It worked. It revealed something that they did not know before eating the fruit. It revealed evil. It revealed wickedness. It revealed wrong. In fact, they even looked at each other and said, well, we're naked. They were naked the whole time. But God had hidden that behind his glory. When, his, when we sinned, when man sinned, the glory lifted, and now we're seeing things that we shouldn't be seeing. This knowledge of good and evil, it produced it. I can do this without God. But let me show you a more cunning pride, an even more tricky pride in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to kind of bounce around some of these verses here, but in Exodus chapter 3, we find a, name, a man named Moses. And Moses is at a burning bush. It's a bush that's on fire, yet it's not being consumed. You know, fire usually consumes, burns up, but this bush is not being burnt up. It's just on fire. And God begins to speak to Moses. We know that at this point, Moses is on the run. He's a Hebrew born as an Egyptian, so he's got a major identity crisis. He kills an Egyptian, is sent on the run by Pharaoh, ends up out in this wilderness just, uh, you know, being a shepherd, tending sheep out there. But God has a plan for his life. God has a call for his life. And in Exodus chapter three and verse nine, it says, so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, this is God speaking, and I have also seen the way of the Egyptian, the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, God answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Exodus chapter four and verse one, Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say that the Lord did not appear to you? In verse 10, Moses replies to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Notice he's, he is responding with, you can't use me, I'm not the guy, you got the wrong one, I'm unqualified, right? Finally, in verse 13, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Now, most of us would not put these types of responses in the pride category. Most of us would put these in the, oh, what a humble man. Oh, what a, what a guy, you know, it, it, it's just so, you know, we're, we're recognizing it's all about you and who are you to use such a lowly person like me, such an, a messed up person like me, a divorced person like me, an abused person like me, a poor person like me, an uneducated person like me, an unqualified person like me. And the verse, uh, the next verse in verse 14 says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. 
God is not taking this conversation the way you and I think he takes those lousy conversations of, I'm not good enough. You got the wrong guy. His anger burned against Moses. And he said, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he is on his way now to meet you. He will rejoice when he sees you. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach both teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will serve as a mouth for you and you will serve as God to him. Take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Eve said, I can do this without God. But Moses said, I can't do this with God. The danger today for a lot of us, and this is where a a, a false pride shows up, or actually I would call it a false humility. It's the more tricky side of pride. And I want to dismantle pride in all of its forms and fashions. The danger for most believers today is we are well aware we can do nothing without God. The danger is that we have learned to do nothing with God. For I can do all things through Christ. Remember I said simply, the simple definition of pride is taking any thought that God does not have. Apparently God thought Moses was the one. God thought Moses was able. God thought Moses was handpicked. Moses was qualified. Moses was educated. Moses was enough. Not Moses alone, but God with Moses. Notice that when Moses said, who am I? He didn't even answer that question. He just said, doesn't matter who you are, I'm with you. And when I'm with you, I'm with whatever that mess is. You can accomplish whatever I'm calling you and assigning you to do. And so typically, if we don't reject the the pride that says, I can do it without God, we start accepting the pride that says, I can't do it with him either. And deception rolls in. And then the deceived deceive. The deceived soon to begin to deceive others because deception is contagious. It catches like wildfire. It takes off. No, we need to what? Cast down these thoughts. What are the remedies? Let's try to wind this up. Second Timothy chapter three. You can turn there. Second Timothy three. In verse 10, God wants us to be delivered from every form of pride. Not just the pride that we think is wrong. Not just the pride that we think is unacceptable. Not just the pride that we think, oh yeah, you're exalted. You're trying to do this without God. But some of us are carrying insecurities. 
Some of us have accepted a worth and a value that is less than what the word declares over your life. Some of you are, uh, have written off the things that were once laid upon your heart that you knew God was calling you to do and you have laid them aside because you have proven in and of yourself, I can't fulfill that, I can't accomplish that. And you have forgotten that God called you. God assigned you. And you've actually set yourself up in pride. You, you cannot pay the price of having a thought God does not have. Today we choose, I will no longer entertain a thought that God does not have about me. Those of you that are serious enough, because that type of pride will lead you into deception. It'll lead you into seducing spirits. It'll lead you into doctrines that are unholy. I give you another prideful thought that many times we don't classify as pride. I know he can heal. But maybe he's trying to teach me something. Or if it be your will. Or in your timing, Lord. Those are prideful thoughts because they're not thoughts that God has. And when you have a thought that God does not have, he sees it as, are you setting yourself up against me? Are you building your own kingdom? Are you establishing your own truth? Are you establishing your own doctrine? What does my word say? If, my, if it doesn't align with what my word says, then you have created a thought that has exalted itself. The second Timothy chapter three and verse 10 says, but you Timothy certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. How are we going to respond when these thoughts show up that God does not have? How are we gonna respond with these prideful thoughts? Be faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have been given, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Philippians chapter two and verse three. Philippians chapter two and verse three. Worship team, y'all can start making your way up here. 
Philippians chapter two and verse three. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You know, we, we, we play this game today in culture, the, the comparison game. And comparison will never produce in you what you want it to produce. You're either going to see yourself as better than the other person and become prideful in a haughty way, in an arrogant way, or you're going to compare yourself to others and you're going to find yourself less than or below what someone else may do. In life, there's always somebody with more money or less money than you, more education or less education than you, more qualified or less qualified, more good looking or less good looking. You're always gonna have that. It's futile to play the game of, well, what about them? Look at what they, well, sure, they could do that because of this. Sure, they could obey that because they, they did this. And you can, you can look across the lines all you want. No, he says in verse four, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience. Everyone say obedience and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Second Corinthians 10 verse six again tells us that we are to, every thought that has exalted itself, we are to bring it into obedience, into subjection. One translation reads, we are to take the thought and make it as a prisoner of war. Submit. So here's the key. If pride is the foundation of deception, then surrender is the foundation of revelation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.